Well, I want to say good morning to those of you who are watching online, those who are watching by television, those here at our campus at Sugarloaf, those at our Mill Creek campus. Uh, thanks for being here today. I was driving back last night from Auburn, Alabama. I was so happy, so full of joy. And, uh, but I was excited. And let me tell you really why. Not so much about the game, though that was pretty cool, but about the message. And I'm so, I can't tell you how excited I am, honestly, about this message. And I want to begin by telling you a little bit about my, fa my financial history. Uh, neither my mom or my dad went to college. Uh, my, for most of my life, my dad was a, drove a gas truck for a living. My mother was, we call it back in the day, a beautician. She was a hairdresser. The most money my dad ever made, the, mo the biggest paycheck my dad ever brought home in a week was $100. My mom, on good weeks, would clear 60. So we, would, we were kind of what you would call socioeconomically we weren't poor, but we were lower middle class. I paid my way through college. I worked every year that I went to college. My freshman year, I had to get up at 4.30 every morning and go to the cafeteria because I worked a breakfast shift. And I worked my way through college. I took out student loans. Every car I've ever owned, I bought myself and paid for because my mom and dad could not afford to buy me a car. The first car I ever bought was a Volkswagen. Used, had 100,000 miles on it. I paid $500 for it. I came from a family that had very little money, and would you believe it, I married into a family that had very little money. When we got married for our rehearsal dinner, we had ham and cheese sandwiches, potato chips, and diet drink, Coca-Colas. Our reception, we stepped it up. We had cake, punch, mitts, and cookies, because that's all our parents could afford. <clears throat> Six months after we got married, we went to the seminary. We had $300 in the bank. I was a full-time student uh, at the seminary, and uh, Teresa was a um, secretary. Uh, to, to put it mildly, our budget was tighter than a clam with lockjaw. We had one day night, date night a month. For two years, we had one date night a month. We went to White Castle on a Friday night once a month, and we had a $7 budget to eat. For years, we drove a Chevrolet Nova, if you remember the Nova, that had no air conditioning because we couldn't afford to get it fixed. Now, I'm not griping, I'm not complaining. I want you to understand before I get started, we weren't born with a silver spoon in our mouth. We haven't been left any kind of an inheritance from anybody. And yet, there's one thing that's been true about Teresa and me for 43 years, ever since we got married. We have lived in financial freedom for 43 years. And, and God has blessed us immeasurably. And I'll just say this and move on. I look back at where I was when I got married at 23, and if you told me that I would be where I am today, I would say that is absolutely a pipe dream. And the reason why we are where we are today is because we made four key decisions together when we got married, and they're all based on this book, what this book says about managing money, and we just took God at his word, and from the day we said I do until now, we have lived in total financial freedom. Now, the reason why I know this is a big deal is because the vast majority of people in this country are not living in financial freedom. There are a lot of you listening to me right now with all respect. You know it. You're not living in financial freedom. In fact, I read an article in the Atlantic Magazine, and the title of the article was this. Most people in the world have no idea how to manage their money. And the article gives this statement. Financial ignorance is widespread, even as the world has changed in ways that make such ignorance more dangerous than ever before. And then it goes on to say this, for a large and fast-growing number of people, personal bankruptcy is just one 
bad decision away. Now that, frankly, in a way, blows my mind. Even though the economy, by, by any standard, is booming, stock market, all-time high, unemployment rate, all-time low, and yet a growing number of Americans are saying that the cost of raising a family and financial demands on the home are among the most important problems they're facing today. 62% of adults say that economic issues and money are one of the top three problems they face. That's up from just 51% four years ago. Americans are more stressed than ever, and their bank accounts, they say, are to blame. The majority of Americans, 65%, that's two out of every three, two out of every three Americans say they are losing sleep over money issues. And they're worried about everything from health care to saving for retirement to educational expenses to paying mortgages to paying off debt, credit card debt. And by the way, you know the generation that's worried the most? Gen Xers and Millennials. Worried to death about their financial future. Another article began with this statement. Listen to this. You can take this to the bank. Americans are messed up about money. Americans are messed up about money. And you know what they say the major contributors are? Listen to this. Number one, they say, we don't save enough. Number two, we spend money we don't have. And number three, we have our financial priorities backwards. Now, if that sounds familiar, what I want to do today is this. And by the way, this is not going to be a beat you up kind of a sermon. And I, I want to say what something Bruce said. I commend you for being here because a lot of times when people know what the pastor's going to talk about money, they saturate the building with their absence, okay? They find a reason not to come. I want to thank you for coming. And I promise you, we're not going to put you on a guilt trip because guilt doesn't work. I get that. What I want to do today, I just want to help you to financial freedom. Now, before I get started, listen to the next statement. Some of you are gonna to try to give excuses. I'm gonna say some things, you're gonna go, well, that worked for you, it won't work for me. Well, you could do that, I couldn't do that. Listen to me. Everybody can take these four steps. There's not one person listening to me right now that cannot take these four steps. However, they will only, you will only take these steps if two things are true that I will share with you at the end of this message. They will work. You say, well, how can you be so sure? Because they've worked for me for 43 years years. They worked. Even at a time when I wasn't even sure they might work. And by the way, it, it's not that it works because it worked for me and it doesn't work because I say so. It works because God said so. It's worked because this is the way God has built the universe. There are certain laws that you can't break. And the four keys I'm going to give you today are laws that if you will keep them, they will work. See, here's why I'm doing this. Do you realize as your pastor, I have two jobs. I have a job to equip you for this life, but I also have a job to prepare you for the life to come. Because I'm gonna give an account to everything I said to you. I'm gonna give you an account to how I pastored you. And you know how I'm gonna know what kind of a job I did? How you measure up when you get to heaven. So that's my job, that's what I'm trying to do right now. I want you to be everything you can be here in this life, so you can be everything God wants you to be in the life to come. So one of the greatest ways I can do that, frankly, is to show you how to live financially free. So there's a statement. We're gonna build everything I'm gonna tell you today on one statement. If you wanna look on your iPad or your tablet or your iPhone or your Bible, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, and if you don't have anything to look on, I'm gonna throw this up on the screen. But there's a statement that Jesus made and it wasn't 
probably maybe, I don't know, quite a few years ago, it was one of those statements for the first time, it really registered. And when I finally realized what Jesus was saying, I was saying, that is absolutely one of the most powerful, one of the most attention-getting, one of the most mind-boggling, and at the same time, kind of one of the most frightening things that Jesus ever said. I want you to listen, Luke chapter 16, verse 11. I would encourage you to look at this verse, write the verse down, highlight it, memorize it, and never forget it. Listen to what Jesus said. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? God has great plans for you in this life. We, you know, you've heard that a million times, right? God's got great plans for you. Hey, do you think when you die, God's plan for you is done? Oh, no, he's getting started. God not only has great plans for you in this life, he's got even greater plans for you when you enter into eternity. But what God will trust you with there will depend upon whether or not God could trust you with what he gave you here. So with that in mind, I want to share with you four steps to financial freedom. And by the way, they all are in order. And you can't skip any of them. And by the way, if you don't do the first one, none of the rest of them are gonna happen. I wanna tell you that right now. You ready? Here's first step. Number one, you've got to see money correctly. If you're gonna be financially free, you've got to see money correctly. Now, everything that I'm going to say to you today depends upon a statement I'm gonna make in just a moment. And you've got to believe it, you've got to accept it, and you've got to apply it. And if you don't, you will never be financially free. And oh, by the way, if you don't accept what I'm about to say with you, if you don't say, you know what, I believe that, I'm gonna live like it's true, you will never be financially free. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you have no debt. It doesn't matter if you make a lot of money. It doesn't matter if you have a lot in savings. It doesn't matter if you can buy anything you want. If you don't believe that what I'm about to say with you, it doesn't even matter if you give money to charity, you will still not be financially free. Four words. You have to believe them, you have to accept them, you have to apply them, or I don't care how well if you are, I don't care if you are a billionaire, you will never be in financial freedom. You ready? Here's the four words. God owns it all. All right, let's say that together. I knew that's how you'd say it. Now say it like you mean it. God owns it all. That's right, okay? God owns it all. All. So I'm going to give you an illustration. I want you to imagine you take everything you own or you think you own right now, everything you have in your possession, everything, your cash, your clothes, your car, your house, your real estate, your 401k, your jewelry, your stocks, your bonds. I want you to imagine you took all of that and you converted, converted all of it to silver bullion and gold coins. So everything you've got, everything you think you own, everything you think you possess, everything you leave behind if you die today, you're gonna convert it all to silver bullion and gold coins. Everybody got it? All right, now hear this. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. It all belongs to God your liquid assets, your non-liquid assets. Every asset you have belongs to him. Or suppose you're a rancher. Let's suppose all of your wealth is tied up in bulls and cows and goats, everything you have. Hear this. God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the castle on a thousand hills. 
In other words, here's what God said. If you think your bull belongs to you, you're full of bull. It doesn't belong to you. God owns it all. It all belongs to him. Listen, suppose somebody had the ability to come to you today and say, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna give you the entire world. I've been given the ability to sign the title deed over everything in the world, all that's in the world, all that's on the world. I'm signing it over to you, to you today. You own the entire world. Now hear this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world, and all who live in it. God says everything in this world, everything on this world, everybody in this world, it all belongs to me. Now, why is that so important? Well, if God owns it all, if God owns everything, then let me tell you what that, you know, what, what does that make us? What does that make you and me? Well, here's what that means. I'm not an owner. I'm a manager. I'm what the Bible calls a steward. And the reason why you've got anything you have today, I don't care what it is, that nice house, that nice car, that condo at the beach, that boat at the lake, that 401k, the reason why you have all of that stuff is because God wants you to be a good steward. God wants you to be a good manager. And here's the point. If you think you own anything, it really owns you. So you gotta get this in your mind right now. I don't own anything. And if you see that God owns it all and you act as a manager and not an owner, it will change your thinking about your finances. I was thinking the other day, I wish I could take those four words, God owns it all. I wish I could take those four words and I could stamp those four words on every checkbook, pocketbook, income tax refund, tax transaction, credit card, home, car, condominium, every piece of real estate, every piece of jewelry, everything that moves, everything that does it. God owns it all. And once you finally get that in your mind, I don't own anything. Nothing totally belongs to me. One day somebody else is going to live in that dream house you built. One day somebody else is going to drive that dream car you bought. Someday somebody else is going to wear that dream watch you have. Somebody else is going to own it. You own nothing. When you finally get it down, you know what? God owns it all. Then you will finally take the first step to financial freedom. Now, that's step one. Now, the second step let me just warn you, he's going to shock you. And this step will be the hardest step to take for many of you. But it's the first practical step you have to take with your finances. And I told you, listen, if you leave out any step, none of the steps work. I'm just telling you, they don't work. You will not be financially free. And if you don't do this, if you don't take this first step, you will never be financially free. And oh, here's what's even worse. If you don't take this next step, you will have failed the test God has given you with money. Now, let me tell you why I know what I'm about to say. Let me just go ahead and tell you. What I'm gonna tell you next is counterintuitive. Some of you are gonna say, that makes no sense. You're telling me to manage my money well. You're telling me you wanna help me manage my money and get out of financial debt and financial bondage. And you're telling me to do this first. Well, let me tell you, I know how counterintuitive it is. I went on Google. Google is your friend. So I went on Google. I Googled top money management tips. I went to the top 10 websites. Not one website had this in their, in, in their principles. Not one. Not, nobody ever even, even came close to saying this, okay? So you heard it here first. And by the way, that may not have been in any of them, but it's the single most important one. You ready? Number one, you gotta see money correctly. So what does that mean? God what? 
God owns it all. All right, principle two, buckle your seatbelt. Don't have a heart attack. Listen, share money generously. That's step two. But remember, they're in order. Share money generously. Now watch this. Once you adopt the attitude that God owns it all, once you really believe that, then you really will naturally follow rule number one of financial freedom, all right? What is rule number one of financial freedom? You ready? Pay God first. Say that with me. Now say it like you mean it. Pay God first. Okay, pay God first. Now don't take my word for it. The richest man who probably has ever lived was a king by the name of Solomon. Solomon gave this financial piece of advice. Listen to what he said. He said, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. First fruits. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. Now those words were written to an agrarian culture, okay? The main occupation back in his day was farming. So here's the way it worked. Whenever a farmer would, would reap a harvest or whenever a rancher would birth you know, some calves, that farmer would take the first part of that harvest. That rancher would take the first calf that was born. He would go to the temple. They would go to the temple and they would commit it to the Lord. As a matter of fact, even the firstborn of their children were committed to the Lord for his service. That's what Solomon meant by the word first fruits. He said, you pay God first. Now, Wall Street won't tell you what I'm gonna tell you. Your most financial advisors will not tell you what I'm gonna tell you. But the most important money management you, uh, principle you will ever hear, and the key to not only managing your money, listen, the key to not only managing your money, but making sure your money doesn't manage you, is this. Give God the first fruits of your income, not the leftovers. Give God the first fruits of your income, not the leftovers. Now, let me stop right here. I want you to hear me, because I want to tell you, I'm a sympathetic guy. I know some of you guys say, boy, he's really enjoying just kind of, you know, you know, really talking to me this way. Listen, I hear you. I hear what, I know what you're thinking. It sounds counterintuitive, because I know what some of you are thinking right now. Please, please and you know why? Because I've been where you are. You're going, are you ripping kidding me? I can't even pay my bills. I can barely make ends meet. I'm too much behind on my car payment. I got credit card debt coming out the wazoo. I'm getting a letter from my banker every week and it's not Merry Christmas. And you're telling me to pay God first? Well, let me be honest. I get it. You, you've asked a great question. And, and it really gets to the heart of the matter, okay? Here's my answer to you. Yep, it sounds counterintuitive. Yep, I don't see any way I can pay God first. I just don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the income. Okay, here's my answer. The greatest thing you will ever do when it comes to money is to make God your financial partner. The greatest thing you'll ever do with your money is to make God your financial partner. Now, before I get it any further, let me just say this. You say, oh, I can't do that. Well, simple question. How's your way working out for you? I mean, God's sitting over here right now saying, okay, you, you run it. How's that working out for you? Well, for a lot of you, it's not working out too well. And see, here's the key. The only way to get God, if I said to you, would you like for God to get involved in your money problems? Well, if you, if you got a half a brain, you'd say, sure. 
Would you like to make God your financial partner? You say, yeah, absolutely. Well, the only way to get God involved in your finances, you've got to honor God with your finances first. And what this is all going to boil down to is one simple decision you've got to make. Teresa and I had to make that decision four decades ago. We had to make the same decision that I'm asking you to make. Do you believe what God says he will do if you'll pay him first? That's what it all boils down to. Do you believe what God says he will do if you will pay him first? From the time I was a little boy, one of the greatest things my dad and mom taught me was the principle of the tithe. They, they taught me that from the time I was a little kid. You, you give God the first 10% of everything he gives you. I remember when, when the offering plate was passed, I always sat with my mom and dad in church, and I remember my dad would always, he'd put his, he'd always put his tithe in the envelope. He, and I could see it, $10. He all wrote, he made $100, this before taxes. He always wrote a $10 check, he'd put it in the envelope. He would give it to me to put in the plate. And I always loved that part, you know, but you know why? Because it was his money, not mine. But I loved that part. But it taught me something. God said, you know, my dad says, you honor God first. Give God the first 10% of everything he gives you. Listen, if I have found any scriptural promise to be true, in fact, I was telling our staff this this morning. You know why I believe this book is the word of God? Can I, there's a lot of reasons. Can I tell you one of the greatest reasons I believe this book's the word of God? It's because of all the promises God's ever made in scripture, there is one promise that has come true a million times in my life since I was a kid. Here's the promise. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You, you give God, you give me your 10% off the top. You pay me first. That there may be food in my house. Then he says this, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw up into the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Now, I've told you before, this is the only time in the Bible where God not only allows us, God commands us, test me. Try me, put me on the spot, draw a line in the dirt and double dog dare me. So beginning on our wedding day, Teresa and I said, you know what, we're gonna believe God. And so from the very first paycheck we both do as a married couple, we, I mean, from the early days of our marriage, we paid God first. And by the way, let me be honest with you, particularly when I went to, remember I'm an accounting major. I wanna tell you something, we were at the seminary. On paper, it didn't make sense for us to do this. On pay, any financial advisor would say, you cannot do that and make it. And yet, just like Bruce said, God met every need that we had. And oh, by the way, Jesus was even more blunt. Listen to what Jesus said. Give and it will be given to you. Now, here's how we think. We tell God, you go first. You give to me, then I'll give to you. By the way, go dogs. You give to me and God will give to you. God says, no, 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 that's not the way it works. I'm not gonna give to you first. Here's the way it's gonna work, Jesus said. You give first, you go first, and it will be given to you. By who? Somebody tell me. Yeah, by God. It will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Now, you see the order? You give first, then you will be given. You say, Pastor, do you really believe what Jesus said? Believe it, I'm living it. I'm enjoying it. I'm bathing in it. So we wanna help you and make it easy for you to give God first. 
We provided multiple ways for you to give. You can give through our website. You can give through text giving. You can place a gift in the basket in the worship service. In fact, I wanted to encourage many of you to start doing something Teresa and I started doing a long time ago. I'm gonna ask you to set up a, a way that you can give in a recurring fashion because I know people get busy. And, and you know, there are lots of times I've heard people say, man, I just, you know, I, I came and I didn't come prepared to give and I forgot and I, I just got busy. You know what? Teresa and I set this up. We just have a withdrawal from our bank account. We, the first thing that comes out of our bank account, we give to the church first. It's just recurring. You know, you, you, you just, you know, you, you set it and you forget it. And this guarantees that we're going to pay God first. That's the way Teresa and I do it. I would encourage many of you to set that up. Now, I realize for those of you struggling unbelievably in your finances, again, I want to say this. You know, it's easy for you now to stand up there and tell me to believe God, trust God, pay God first. I can hardly make ends meet. I get it. I have been there. I was there when I was 23 years old and had just been married a few months. And there was everything in me screaming, you can't afford to give a tithe right now. God will understand. You're a seminary student. You're getting ready to be a pastor. You're getting ready to go lead people and how to follow me. And I was thinking about that and God said, yeah, why don't you rob me first and let's see how that works out. And I realized, you know what? I don't wanna just practice what I preach. I wanna preach what I practice and we did. So I'm just simply gonna ask you to do one thing, one time, under one condition. One thing, one time, under one condition. The next paycheck you get, give God 10% of that paycheck. I'm just asking one time, one thing, one condition. The next paycheck you get, you give God 10%, okay? Now here's the condition. If you can't meet this condition, don't do it. You believe God keeps his promise and you wanna make God your financial partner. Now, if you don't believe God keeps his promise, I got news, don't give a dime, keep your money. And if you really don't wanna make God your financial partner, if you're kinda happy doing it on your own, then have at it. But if you'd say, you know what? I do believe God keeps his promise. I, I've never believed, but I'm, I'm gonna step out on faith. God says, put me to the test. Okay, God, I'm gonna do what you said. I don't know how I can do it. I don't know how I can afford it. It doesn't seem it's gonna work. On paper, it makes no sense. But you made a promise to me, and I'm gonna see if you'll keep your promise. Do it one time. I came across an article that got my attention. Here was the headline. You ready? Here's the headline. Before you even think about asking, think of giving first secrets of a million-dollar startup. I was so intrigued by that. I don't even know if this man's a believer or not, but I read the article. You know what he said? He said that the key to his business success, he started out with a small business. He said, I decided I was going to give first. I was going to be a generous giver. Now, I'm not implying that you'll have a $100 million startup like this guy did, but I am telling you this. The first step to being financially free You've got to make God your financial partner. And the moment you say to God, I'm gonna believe you, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna give you the first fruits of what I make, immediately, here's what God says. Okay, partner, we're in business. You see what you've done for me? Now you watch what I'm going to do for you. So step number one, you gotta see money correctly. Step two, share money generously. Now, you say, does the third one get easier? Probably not. But here's the third one. You save money regularly. Save money regularly, okay? Rule number one, pay God first. Rule number two, pay yourself second. Rule one, pay God first. Rule two, pay yourself 
second. Now, let me tell you how this worked for us. Teresa, I've been married, went to seminary, finally got my first little country church. We realized we need to start saving money. We didn't have a lot, but let me tell you what we did. My little country church, bless their hearts, my little country church decided to give me a 10% raise. That was $10, I was making $100 a week. So they came and they said, preacher, we love you. We know it's hard. We know you're hard to make ends meet. We want to give you a $10 a week raise. You know what we asked them to do? I said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I don't want you to give me the raise. They said, you don't? I said, no. I want to take that $10 and I want to invest it. And they said, okay. So we set it up for them to invest in what was called the Presbyterian Minister's Fund. Now you may be asking, why didn't you do the Baptist Minister's Fund? Because the Presbyterian paid more money. So we, we invested with them. But here's my point. We began saving right after we got married. $10 a week, just 10 bucks a week. We, got, we started saving. And where'd you get this idea, Pastor, from this verse of Scripture? The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. In other words, here's what he said. If you're wise, you'll save, but foolish people spend everything that they have. Now, again, let me stop. I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. You just told me to start out giving God first, paying God first. I don't even know how I can do that. Now you're telling me I can't even hardly make ends meet. I can't pay my bills. And you're telling me before I pay off my bills, pay myself second. Well, let, let me tell you something that's gonna shock everybody in this room. If you wanna argue with me, I'm gonna be right outside in the lobby, come argue with me, and it won't last long because I'm gonna prove to you you can. Everybody listening to me right now, television, online, other campus, Everybody can save something. Everybody can save something. Now, if you start early enough, here's the key. If you start early enough, like I hope Riley will, you don't have to save a lot to have a lot. Now, I'm gonna give you an example, all right? You just turned 20 years of age. I want you to pretend. You just turned 20 years of age. Watch this. If you start saving $1 a day at 20 years old, so you're gonna start saving one year a day at 20 years old. Let me make this easy. That is the equivalent of a Chick-fil-A sandwich combo a week, okay? If you save a dollar a day, if you invest that money in an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, which by the way, track the S&P 500, assuming an annual return of 11.23%. That's what it averaged from 1965 to 2014. If you'd invested a dollar a day beginning in 1965 for almost 50 years every year, you would have made 11.23% of your money. If you start doing that when you're 20 years old, a dollar a day, and you save until the day you turn 70 years old, drum roll, you would have 698,450 bucks. A dollar a day, 50 years, you'd have $700,000. Now, let me tell you, I guarantee you most of us eat at Chick-fil-A at least once a week. I mean, if you're an American and you're saved and you're walking with God, you eat at Chick-fil-A at least once a week. <laughs> so all you gotta do is say, you know what? I'm not gonna have one. I'm not gonna eat the combo. I'm gonna save the money. All right, how about you Starbucks people? You like to go to Starbucks. If you would forego two skinny vanilla lattes a week for 50 years, you could drink all the Starbucks you want till the day you die for nothing. See, there are, by the way, there's all kinds of creative ways you can save. I promise you, I could follow you for a week and I could start pointing out, you don't need to buy that. You could save that. 
You don't need to have that. There's all kinds of creative ways to do it. I, I read about a guy that went into a barber shop. He was always looking for ways to save money, and he said, uh, how much do you charge for a haircut? The barber said, uh, $25. He said, well, how much do you charge for a shave? He said, $5. The man jumped into the barber chair, the big grin on his face, he said, okay, shave my head. There's all kinds of ways you can find to shave money, okay? And by the way, we need to save for two big things that we all know are coming up, right? We need to save for rainy days, and we need to save for retirement. By the way, when I talk about retirement, retirement doesn't mean you just quit and do nothing. That's not in the Bible. I'm talking about when you kind of change serving from one place to another. Listen to this. The Employee Benefit Research Institute estimates that Americans have a retirement savings deficit of $4.3 trillion. In other words, all U.S. households with a head of household being between the age of 25 and 64 have $4.3 trillion less in savings than they ought to have for retirement. Now, this blew me away. The median retirement account balance in the United States for people who do have a retirement account. You know what the median balance is? $60,000. How about rainy days? 12% of Americans don't have enough cash to cover a $400 emergency. 61% of Americans say they don't have enough savings to cover a $1,000 emergency like a visit to the ER or car repair. 9% of Americans say they don't have $1 saved anywhere. Now, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be unkind. But if you're sitting there saying, Doc, I'm sorry. Pastor, I'm sorry. I don't have the bandwidth. I can't save any money. Well, just go find an ant that's crawling around on the ground. You say an ant? Yeah, just go find an ant crawling on the ground. You know why? Here's what we read about the ant. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider this ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. So I'm just gonna leave you with this. If an ant can do it, don't say you can't do it. If an ant can do it, don't say you can't. So, What's the keys? What's the steps? See money correctly. Share money generously. Save money regularly. And here's the last step. Spend money wisely. Spend money wisely. Now, rule number one, pay God first. Rule number two, pay yourself second. Rule number three, pay others last. You pay others last. Now, Again, this wise king named Solomon said this, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for all generations. So simply put, here's what I'm telling you. Once you follow the first two rules, then you gotta make sure how careful you are in applying the third rule, okay? Now, there's an attitude and an action that will destroy everything I've just told you if you don't get control of the attitude and you avoid the action, because if you don't, you're gonna live in financial bondage all of your life. You ready? The attitude is materialism and the action is debt. If you don't defeat the attitude of materialism and if you don't be, defeat the action of debt, you will never be in financial freedom. Now, let's be honest. I'm, on, I'm in the club with you. I've heard people say, well, I'm not really materialistic. We're all materialistic. I'm materialistic, you're materialistic, just at certain ways and certain times for certain things. I may be materialistic in ways you're not, you may be in ways I'm not. 
Well, what does it mean to be materialistic? Here's all it means. It means you want more of something you don't really need. If you want something more of something you don't really need, you're materialistic. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. It's just true. And oh, by the way, you don't have to be rich to be materialistic. You know, we kind of think, man, if somebody's rich, they're materialistic. You can be poor and be materialistic. There's a financial counselor named Ron Blue. He talked about going on investing Africa, and he was in this, this, this remote village out in the sticks. And he was talking to one of the villagers, and he said, hey, well, what's the number one problem facing your village? He thought the guy would talk about, you know, well, we need more food, we need more medical supplies, we need doctors, you know, we need health care, we need more clothing. He said the response blew him away. He said the number one problem we face in our, in our village is materialism. He said, what? He's materialism. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, if a man has a mud hut, he wants one made out of stone. If he has a thatched roof, he wants a tin roof. If he has one acre, he wants two. And Ron Blue said, you know what? I realize materialism is a disease of the heart. It has nothing to do with where you live. It has nothing to do with what, what you have. It has nothing to do with how much money you make. By the way, one of the best things you can do this to spend money wisely is to have a budget. And it's not hard to have a budget. First thing you gotta do, you gotta make sure four things are provided for. When you, before you pay others first, you gotta make sure four things are provided for. There's only four things you need. Food, shelter, utilities, transportation. I defy anybody in this room to tell me anything you need other than that. Food, shelter, utilities, transportation, okay? Why? Because everything beyond that is a luxury. Here's my advice. Don't go into debt for luxuries. Don't ever do it. They say, well, pastor, how do you know when you have too much debt? It's not, it's not hard to figure out, okay? You have too much debt when three things are true. It's beyond your ability to repay it on a timely basis. If you can't repay it on a timely basis, you're, you're behind the eight ball, too much debt. It prevents you from giving to God. Well, I'd like to give it to God, can't afford it. You got too much debt. It prevents you from saving for the future. Nope, can't save, you're in too much debt. So here's what we're gonna do. We're offering you today some concrete tools to help you in the journey of getting out of debt. Here's what we're going to do. When you leave today, there's a table out in the lobby. Now listen, this is really cool. We're offering a free, this is totally free, we're offering a free three-hour seminar with Dave Ramsey for financial peace at our Sugarloaf campus. This is this Wednesday. You can sign up at our, at our website or you can sign up at the lobby today, okay? It's this Wednesday. It's free. It's here at our campus, all right? So you can do it, sign up for nothing. At the same time, there are free tools out there for you to pick up in the lobby to help you establish a budget. So what you need to do as you're gonna spend money wisely is you plan and work the plan. Now, let me just, I'm gonna wrap this up. You can't leave any step out. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how many things you have. It doesn't matter how much savings is in your bank account. It doesn't matter how big your 401k is. If you don't see that God owns it all, if you're not paying God first, paying yourself second and others third, you are not financially free. But let me just stop. You're not gonna do anything I've asked you to do. You're gonna blow this off. You're gonna keep going out there. You're gonna be in financial bondage when you, when you leave here. You're gonna be in financial bondage when you come back because you've already convinced yourself or you let the devil convince you, I can't do that. I understand that. So I just wanna be honest. You're not gonna do what God says to do. You're not gonna take these steps unless you do two things. First of all, you've gotta to decide to trust God. I've told you this a thousand times. 
Money has nothing to do with finances. It has everything to do with faith. You either believe what God says or you don't. If you believe what he says, you're gonna manage your money one way. If you don't believe what he says, you're gonna manage money your way. So first of all, you gotta decide to trust God. And then number two, you've got to determine to obey God. I'm gonna believe what God says. I'm gonna put him to the test. I'm going to do it. Now, to help you take that first step, beginning December the 1st, we're gonna give you a challenge. I'm gonna ask you, we've never done this before in our church. We thought it was a cool idea. I'm gonna ask every one of us to give a birthday gift to Jesus during the Christmas season. This is over and above your tithe, over and above what you give to the budget. I'm gonna ask you to give a Christmas gift to Jesus to support the ministries of our church to our community, okay? And what I want you to do is this. I want you to give an amount, this is what I want you to give. Give an amount that would be equal to what you would give your most loved family member, whatever that amount is. I want you to give that amount to Jesus. Beginning today, as you leave the worship room, we're gonna have a manger, you'll see it out front, filled with red Christmas boxes for Jesus at both of our campuses. I'm gonna ask you to pick up one box per family. I'm gonna ask you to make your gift to Jesus, and it's gonna be a reminder that we're thankful for what God has given to us. And by the way, we ought to practice what we preach. So 10% of everything that you give to this to us in, for, in that Christmas for Jesus 10% of it, we're gonna give outside of our church, outside of all the ministries we do. We're gonna give it to some, we're thinking about right now, what would really, really be some cool things we could do for people that will never be able to come, people never be able to help us. We're going to do that. Now, let me just wrap this up. Thank you for coming, thank you for listening. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask one last question. Why, why is this so important? Why, why, why is it such a big deal? Pastor, why are you so interested? Why are you so concerned about, quote, unquote, my money? Why, why are you so determined that I live in financial freedom? Can I tell you why? For your witness, for our witness. It is past time to show the world we don't manage our money the way you do. We're not controlled by money the way you are. We don't worship money the way you do. We don't see our money the way you do. And we're not gonna be sucked in by the culture of this day that talks about success and wealth and influence and money as if that's the end all and that is the all. Winston Churchill said this and we'll be finished. The world looks with some awe upon a person who appears unconcernedly indifferent to home, money, comfort, rank, or even power and fame. The world feels not without a certain apprehension. Here is someone outside its jurisdiction, someone before whom its allurements are spread in vain. We're the church. We're the people of God. We're the people for whom God said, if you will bring your tithes to the storehouse, I will open up blessings Wall Street can't give you, Washington can't give you, Congress can't promise you, the world cannot legislate for you. I will open up blessings and give you blessings you cannot believe. So let's just let everybody else live in financial bondage through Jesus. Let's live in financial freedom. Would you pray with me right now?